0: to share and introduce with you today, JD Messenger. We met online through LinkedIn, and I am so thrilled he responded to a message I sent him because it was very much a synchronistic moment for us, and that word has special meaning we'll share about later, I'm sure. Um, JD, well, let me just share first. We We have some interesting things in common in our lives and that initially sparked a conversation together and then we we just so we hit it off so well we just felt very connected the first time we spoke it was such a fabulous conversation that uh, I was like I've got to have you on my podcast and then the more we spoke he said how about we do a series and I was like great so this is the first of a multiple times you're going to experience JD here on my podcast, and I am thrilled to have him. I can't wait for you to learn more about him. Um, the the first couple things that we have in common I'll share real quick, and then I want him to, to share his story. There's so much to share, so much to talk about. I mean, we could literally have <laughs> like weekly conversations for a few years, I think, it would, and it would be fascinating. But um, as you probably all know, my listeners, my father... Uh, broke his neck during our hot air balloon accident many years ago. JD happens to have broken his neck twice in his life and miraculously recovered. We and then JD and I um share part of our own personal journeys of definitely getting into a place of being very busy, letting work run our lives to an extreme. And being very much motivated by the achievements and the external things in life. And then suddenly being put in a position where we realized we weren't really truly happy. And we had different journeys, of course, that brought us to these moments. But we do share that very much in common. And as you know, that's very much a theme in my life, in my work, and what I bring to this podcast. So I want him to take it from here JD, welcome! Thank you so much for joining me, and I, I am so excited to talk with you. This this first of many.
1: Well, thanks. It's an honor. I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity. I love to talk. I love to tell my story, and uh, it, like I said, it's always an honor. So thank you.
0: Yes. So, um, and I and of course we're going to talk about today. If you're watching the video, JD has this beautiful book called 11 Days in May," and I am. It, I'm, i it is i i really i'm speechless about it it is so unique the way it's done it's this beautiful yet concise book done in such a, a a truly unique way so i mean i just within matter of a handful of pages my whole body was like screaming yes yes <laughs> I, I this makes sense to me i love this this is so wonderful so I'm not even sure where to start. Why don't we start with your story, some background, and, and however you, whatever you'd like to share. There's so much. Let's go for it.
1: Sure. Yeah. No. Um, well, I, I started off uh, life as uh, went to the na- Naval. Well, I enlisted in the Navy as a seaman, and then I, I got an appointment to the Naval Academy from the Secretary of Navy. Uh, and so when I graduated the Naval Academy, I was a nuclear submarine officer, And, um, it was in 1985 that I was refueling a reactor in overhaul and, uh, it was three o'clock in the morning and, you know, it it looks like a Tom Clancy movie, you know, it's dark and it was December and there's arc welders and cranes 300 feet up in the air. And the submarine was cut to pieces, giant holes, and a, a ship in dry dock is like 90 feet off the ground. And, so I saw out of the corner of my eye and I had been on watch for like 20 something hours. So I was tired. We're, we were refueling the nuclear reactor. So I'm standing over there watching them take the radioactive fuel rods out and all that. And, and, um, the crane came and I had a, a split second to decide whether I, where I was going to step. And by the time I looked up, it, it hit me in the forehead and it, and the good news is I had a hard head on, I was much taller before that. <laughs> and it, uh, it snapped my neck back and, and crushed my neck. And that was 1985. And that, you know, that's a very important story uh, for the future. Uh, after I left the Navy, I was an Exxon executive, and I led uh, national safety, and I supervised Valdez oil spill cleanup, so I ended up becoming involved in crisis response. Left Exxon and became an Ernst and Young partner. And then um, ultimately, um, the CEO of Ernst & Young Management Consulting in, in Southeast Asia. And uh, in 2000, my neck started to hurt again, and, and I ignored it. I started popping a bunch of pain pills. Uh, I was completely unconscious of the fact that I was popping an entire bottle of pain pills every four days, that I had lost all feeling and strength down my left arm. And um, because I was important, you know, I was the CEO of a company, I was leading the Exxon Mobil merger, I designed the shell outsourcing projects for the first time, I was an advisor to the Singapore prime minister, you know, so um, I, I was too important, right, to, to stop working. And uh, on the morning of January 18th of 2000, I, I put my arms up in the air when I woke up to take a shower, so a stretch. And that stretch was, uh, I I I popped the last thing that was holding my neck together because it had been degenerating, and um, you know I, I had a I had a near death experience. I I I flew out of my body and went through a tunnel, and you know I thought all that kind of stuff was la la woo woo crazy things, you know. But at the Naval Academy, I I had some officers who had been POWs in Vietnam, and they had talked about out-of-body experiences. But anyway, um, they rushed my body to the hospital, did a double surgery. They took bone out of my hip, fused my neck. And so my, my neck was solid fusion, five, six, and seven, you know, so I could kind of move like this. Anyway, um, after I got off of the morphine drip and uh, went home, uh, I, I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk. Um, I couldn't move. And I was just laying in bed and, and staring at the ceiling and looking at the plaster twirls and thousands of cards from all the people and and um, letters. And uh, my family came in and they tried to cheer me up. And my kids were three, five, and seven or eight at the time. And, and they were telling me about the trip to Australia and the koala bears. And I didn't go on that trip, and they didn't remember I didn't go on that trip. I was like doing the ExxonMobil deal, and then uh they started talking about their trip to the Great Wall in China, and I didn't go on that trip either i was i think I was doing the shell outsourcing project, and so tears just start rolling down my eyes, and you know I just want them to leave and uh you know they leave and and I'm just uh I'm like, what is wrong with me? You know, I've, I've become a self-made multimillionaire. I'm living in a $5 million house. I've got servants. Um, I thought I did everything you were supposed to do in life and I wasn't happy and I didn't know why I wasn't happy. And, uh, I got really PO'd, you know, I was, I was really angry, you know, angry at God, angry at whoever, you know, told me whatever I was supposed to be doing was supposed to be the right thing. And, And so that was, that was sort of the major turning event um, in my life. And that was 20 years ago. And, and that completely altered uh, my entire life. Uh, After I uh, took six months to learn how to walk and talk and chew gum again. And, and I quit my job and I thought I'd go on a search. I wanted answers to questions like, you know, what was that tunnel I flew through and why am I not happy? And, you know, who am I and what am I supposed to do with my life? And and uh, I, I naively thought it would take a year. And 10 years later, <laughs> I was still searching. And I had done a CNN radio show. And I had made a television show. And I wrote a best-selling book. So um, that's that's kind of how it all began.
0: Oh, my goodness. And when you shared about the thousands of cards and things that rem- that I haven't thought about that in a while, it brought back a memory of my dad when we were in the hospital um, and the literally bags of cards and uh, that i'm sure you experienced too bags and buckets that would flood in i mean there were so many i do not think we even were able to open them all cuz he was very yeah. well respected in his community different type of of business and businessman but that just that memory came flooding back um oh my I, there's just so much um wow i i and and also the 10 years I, and I know in your book and uh, you use the word quest when you went and talked about going on your search and I love that work myself. And I, um, in my intro, I talk about going on a quest in my podcast intro and I, and really that was about a 10 year quest myself. Um, so it's just, it's interesting. The more I learn about you, the, just the different little.
1: What happens, it happens to everybody. You know, it's a part of the hero's journey or Uh heroine's journey. I like to say, um, and, um, you know, we, we all, this, this is the, the Hero of a Thousand Faces by jo- Joseph Campbell. And, you know, all, every great movie, you know, whether it's Lord of the Rings, Neo, the Matrix, Marvel movie, you know, they all follow the hero's journey. And that's the, the, the mono myth that Joseph Campbell discovered through all myths and all legends and all civilizations throughout all time. And and it's an innate part of us. And, and this is why when we watch a movie that follows and checks the boxes of the hero's journey, we all love that movie. Well, this is our life, and part of the life uh, of a hero's journey is the call to adventure. And the call to adventure is what I call the the fourth hurdle in our life. The first hurdle is ignoring the naysayers, and the second hurdle is taking a leap of faith and following and trusting your heart. The third hurdle is it shows up as a divorce, uh, a, a cancer, you know, illness, bankruptcy, you know, uh, some, some, something that, that throws you off center and it sends you on the, the call to adventure. And that's the beginning of our quest. And uh, unfortunately, too many people ignore it. Um, in my particular case, I, I thought I was, either, I was going crazy. You know, I, I had visions of inventions in my mind's eye. I, I saw words go before my eyes, which is how I wrote the book in 11 days. I had premonition of events that happened. And, um, you know, right now, um, I'm CEO of the messenger Institute and our clients are all CEO entrepreneurs. And what I discovered uh, over the last 20 years is all of these great industrialists and CEO entrepreneurs and, you know, whether you're talking, going all the way back to, you know, Andrew Carnegie or Thomas Edison or Nikolai Tesla or Walt Disney, you know, when you learn their story, they all have this story. They they get insights, they get visions, they hear voices, you can call it la-la-woo-woo if you want. But, you know, Mozart didn't write music, he heard music. You know, famous painter, Peter Max, 1969 love poster. You know, I interviewed Peter and I said, Peter, where do you get your ideas to paint? And he goes, J.D., I just watched my hand paint, you know? So so what we'll get into is that this quest helps us discover our greatest, I call them invisible gifts and powers, and um, they scare the hell out of us. Uh, we think they're a curse uh, when, in fact, they're a blessing in disguise.
0: Two things. One, I want to make sure we tell about another very important piece of your story, the miraculous recovery of your neck. And and then I also want to hear what are those invisible gifts for you. So whichever way you want to go with those two things. But I think those are really pertinent pieces of this of the story to share here. <clears throat>
1: So, you know, I I mentioned I'm a nuclear engineer and math major by education. And so what I'm going to say is that everything is energy and energy is everything. Um, There's there's so much space between the molecules of our body that you know, any physicist will tell you that we're basically nothing. And um, the only part of my body or this table or computer that is physical matter is a neutron. And um, you can't see the neutrons in my fingertips if you go into 200 million times magnification. That's how much empty space and it's just energy. So everything is energy and energy is everything. So the next thing I wanna say is that, before I answer your question, is that this thing sitting on our shoulders is the most powerful supercomputer in the world. It's processing over 38 trillion operations, um, or trillion operations a second. Um, no, No supercomputer can even come close to that. And it's communicating to, we estimate, 100 trillion cells. And although this is the supercomputer, our mind is the driver of the vehicle, you know? So our mind and thoughts are what become the filter. Uh, it, it, you know, it's what we, what we think we can do, we can do what we believe, we see, you know, we don't, seeing is not believing, believing is seeing. And, you know, so I could get into all the physics behind this. So the first thing about my neck is that um, I went, I was in, Singapore when I broke my neck. And so I went to all kinds of, you know, cupping and, and Chinese tea and, you know, the things that these doctors did, um, they didn't put any screws and plates in my neck. They used my own bone to heal it. And the short answer is that through these various modalities, I regenerated one of the vertebrae in my neck. And so now I have mobility, uh, five years later, um, uh, the doctors that worked for the Singapore Prime Minister followed up with me, and they did an X-ray, and they called me up, and they said we're going to do a CAT scan. They did a CAT scan, they called me up, and they go, "We want to do an MRI." They did an MRI, and so they, I go into the office thinking, "Oh my God, there's something wrong, really bad, with my neck." And they said, "We've been doing this for eighty years, and we have never seen anything like this before. Your vertebrae has regenerated. What have you been doing?" <laughs> and in the United States, I've had. I've probably had at least 40 doctors in uh, and neurologists, and, and they look at my solid fusion in one hand, and they look at mine now, and they're speechless. They said, I see this, and I see this, and I see that this healing is after this fusion, and I can't compute. And well, that's because everything is energy, and we know. It's a scientific fact. Einstein knew this. He called it spooky behavior. He knew that our thoughts affect physical matter. When you think about things, the things you think about are literally changing at a subatomic level.
0: Wasn't that, now, just, wasn't that just proven this year, last year? What, oh, no, it's well, been proven. But uh, I, mean, I mean, another level of it, right? With um, quantum... Um, um,
1: quantum mechanics. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh my gosh! I can't think of
1: the there, There's. It's been known for so word. long, and and you know we get really confused because is are things in reality a, a wave or are they a particle and and what what they do is affected by our thoughts and you know this is why we put the superconducting super collider deep underground inside steel surrounded by water all that stuff so that our thoughts which travel around the world instantaneously, just like an email. Okay. Let me, let me give you a metaphor. This conversation is taking my words, turning it into a vibration, which is converted into a frequency, which is carrying ones and zeros, bits and bytes. Uh, every, every image, every song, every voice is, is taking these ones and zeros numbers and turning them into a frequency, sending them through a light beam, and then your little computer, which by the way, my brain and your brain is millions of times more powerful than this MacBook Pro, and it's creating this image. Well, our, our brain does the same thing. You, you know, so so our brain has filters in it and the filters are created from our intentions and our motivations. And we can, we can go down that and talk about how 11 days in May was written in 11 days and how it won five awards. And I didn't even know what I wrote. I, I had no idea what I wrote. And, and so how the hell does that happen, right? But our invisible gifts, so, so in the last 20 years, I've helped over a thousand clients. I might have said this, all entrepreneurs, CEOs, they're inventors, creators. They read my book. They call me up and they said, oh my God, I thought I was going crazy, I didn't know. I thought that my visions and insights were crazy. I thought my dreams were crazy. I thought my premonitions were crazy. Now there's, there's all kinds of people. Mark Twain, Walt Disney, uh, you know, you can hear there's an entire book from the 9-11 survivors called Messages from 9-11 Survivors about all of the hundreds and hundreds of stories that people will tell about these things. So our invisible gifts and powers uh, include, um, seeing like insights in your mind's eye, which many people have. That, that's one of the more rare ones. The most common is intuition. Now, intuition is, uh, uh, oh, usually it's a warning. Okay. I, I'm going to be very specific here. It, intuition is not an insight. An insight is like an, a creative, oh, oh, I get this idea, an inspiration okay, which is about a creation or an idea. An intuition is almost always a warning. Um, My favorite story of an intuition is that I was going on a plane, I was leaving Texas, I was going to fly to LaGuardia, I left the house and I stood on the doorstep and I was like, I'm forgetting something. you know, pants, socks, computer, Band-Aid. What do I need a Band-Aid for? I'm thinking Band-Aid. I've never carried a Band-Aid before or since. But I go in the house, I get a Band-Aid, I fly to LaGuardia, I get off the plane, I pick up my bag and my hand drags and it scrapes against the bag carrier, slices my finger open, and I got a Band-Aid. Now, the math major is going to come out. You know, I've literally had a thousand flights and I've on a thousand flights, I didn't need a Band-Aid. And on the one flight out of a thousand, I needed a Band-Aid. My intuition told me to bring a Band-Aid. So that's a one in a million probability that I would get a Band-Aid from an intuition and and cut myself, okay? So so I like to do the math, and people laugh at me for doing the math. They love me for doing the math. But when you do the math on synchronicities or coincidences, and you realize that's no accident. Now, so um, intuition is number one. Empathic is number two. 60% 60% of people are empathic. You feel other people's feelings. Now, we now know there's a scientific reason for that. In the front of our, our brain right here, the frontal cortex, we have something called mirror neurons. And a mirror neuron is, a, is what is allowing us to feel what other people are feeling. Now, for some people, these mirroring neurons are so powerful that, that their empathic ability... Shuts them down. They, they 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 get confused with feeling other people's feelings and don't know whether what's their feeling or my feeling. Um, they they don't go in crowds. They avoid avoid malls, things like that. But but an empath, if you're very empathic, you know it's a gift. It's not a curse, and you have to learn to separate what you're feeling versus others. Okay, so intuition, empathic abilities, insights. You know that aha, inspiration, creativity different from an insight. Innovation, again, different from a creation. To me, creation is like artistic writing, and innovation is like products. Many of my most successful clients, nine-figure businesses, they created their products from a vision. They had an insight, they had a dream, they just see it in their mind's eye, and they tell somebody to go make it. Um, That's how Walt Disney designed Epcot, from from a lucid dream um Albert Einstein used to put himself into a different state of consciousness using these chinese balls we can talk about that so they're so basically these things happen in our brain by um setting intentions and motivations and removing filters and opening filters and uh basically um creating different brain waves you know alpha beta theta gamma And these different brainwave states create different states of consciousness, which then allow us to tap in and use these invisible gifts. So I might have missed one. Uh, Intuition, empathy, insights, creativity, innovation, hearing. Uh, Lots of people here. I, I, I could tell you a hundred stories about hearing. This one man called me up and read my book. And he says, I got to tell you something I've never told anyone in my life, including my wife, 35 years. I said, what is it? He goes, I hear voices. And I said, great. He goes, I don't think that's great. And I said, why not? And he, I said, what do they say? And he says, run, duck, shoot. And I said, what? The voices say run, duck, shoot. He said, I'm an undercover agent. And when I, when I hear those voices, if I do what those voices tell me to do, everyone's Okay. And if I don't do what those voices tell me to do, people get hurt. So so I know you might have some skeptics out there. That's okay. I was a skeptic for 10 years. And I now give speeches all over the country. You know, the global CFO conference with the CFO of the 1,000 largest companies in the world, the Women's Leadership Summit. I always ask people to vote. Close your eyes and raise your hand if you have a vision. Raise your hand if you're empathic. Raise your hand if you had a premonition. Raise your hand if you see inventions in your mind eye. Guess what percentage of people say yes? Majority, eighty-eight percent. Now the women's abilities are stronger than the men's, or at least the more the women say yes than the men. Now whether that's because they're they're they're, less, they're more vulnerable, more open, or more in touch with their their gifts, I I'm not sure. But all I know is the men whole less than the women
0: yeah i can see that i would say i bet part of that is because they're still a little scared even though you say close their eyes to raise their hand yeah. to admit it Yeah. Uh, partially also society in this as you refer to the world of form uh, i think culturally has made it like uh, that's a feminine thing to do or have or be so that's not okay uh, and i think and then, and then, culturally too, I think just it's just been more accepted for women to be more open and seek help and and explore these things. And thank thankfully, it seems like things are changing in that respect. And and I am really happy. I about call
1: that. I call these flops. A flop is a faulty, limited, outdated program. Meaning, a flop is a belief, you know. And we've got political flops, gender flops. Um, Social flops, corporate flops, economic flops, you know, all, all of these beliefs are programs in our cellular mind, in our in our brain, and in our cells at the time of birth. We we now know that this information is transferred in uterus from the mother. You know, so so and then we're programmed with at birth in society, at our at the culture and the values of beliefs at the time. I call, I call these beliefs at our birth our original download. And, you know, my original download was, you know, Kennedy was president and a woman's place was in the kitchen, not the Senate. And a woman wasn't even allowed to have a bank account that time. And, and, and dad came home at five o'clock and we watched I Love Lucy and, and, you know, the world had plenty of water and only a billion people. And, you know, I mean, so all of the, conditions under which i was born they don't exist anymore therefore all of the programming that i have my identity is living in a world which doesn't exist so what happens is that creates tension and that tension creates pain and suffering and eventually something's going to break and this is co- comes back to our, our third hurdle, our crisis, our divorce, our illness, uh, you know, my m- midlife crisis, if you want to call it that, where where my reality, my, my physical environment was incongruent with my internal beliefs. And so so there's a disconnect. It's like the switch comes, you know, you're like, wait a minute. You know, it's just like Neo and the Matrix, right? Which pill are you going to take? Are you, are you going to take the pill and stay in ignorance? Or are you going to take the pill and go down the rabbit hole and, and discover, you know, reality? And the last thing I'll say is, you know, reality is not what we perceive it to be. Um, all of these programs and filters in our mind have programmed us to believe that our identity is what, our, what these labels are. You know, it comes from paradigms. Paradigms come from constructs. We hope most people know what a paradigm is. It's a and and so as the paradigms shift, as we've seen, paradigms have shifted about marriage, about sex, about religion, about climate, about corporations, globalization. I mean, there's so many paradigms busting, and for those people that that were living and grew up in the old paradigms they go through a negative emotional sequence because their identity is being threatened. So first they ignore it, and then they resist it, and then you deny it, and then you get angry, and then you become hateful, and then you become a terrorist. And, and so when that's happening, that's because reality in the outer world, I call it the outer game, is incongruent with your inner game. And so for a person to live their best life, to be happy, to be successful, and be happy, to be balanced. Um, You have to balance your inner thoughts and beliefs with your outer experience. And that causes change. And change causes tension. And tension is how we grow.
0: And there's another concept here. I'm reaching for my glasses right now. You know, I know you've talked in the book, too, about uh, filters, and basically, right. like when we have these, the programs and whatnot, it's almost like we have a different lens that we're seeing things through. Absolutely. It's, you know, one of the ways I talk about it with clients as I'm coaching and one of my goals as I coach, and, and I know from what I understand, you do this, uh, this, you carry this work into what you do with your clients too, is is helping them to remove, you know, at their pace as they're ready, but we're hoping that we can remove some of these things that are, that are affecting how they see the world, um, so that they can have this broader view and be able to see other people's perspectives. And, and, um, I know you talk about like, uh, black and white thinking, uh, dualistic thinking and, and right. anytime, anytime anyone is so stuck on it's this or that, it's right or wrong. It's good or bad. I mean, it just makes my shoulders get, I'm mean, like, but, I instantly you know, in raise Star you know, Wars, it's, Yeah. In Star it's Wars,
1: not- we call that the, a Sith, right? There are no absolutes. And so, yeah, it's anytime you put something into gay or straight, left or right, black or white, male or female, then you're ignoring reality because reality is always a bell curve. Uh, even our sexual orientations, not our gender, you know, we're male or female, but our sexual orientations is a bell curve. And even, you know, the animal kingdom, you know, is a bell curve. There's, you know, asexual, bisexual, pansexual, homosexual, you, you know, go look at species, <laughs> you know. So so the fact that humans have different sexual orientations is no different than the natural order. Um, but but what happens when a person goes into dualistic thinking, and we have a lot of that right now is it causes suffering, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, and suffering leads to that negative emotional sequence and, and suffering leads to you, you not seeing or accepting reality as it is. And, and then you want to blame someone for your problems. And so when you when the when you start to blame someone from your problems, well, then you're not accepting personal responsibility or personal accountability. Anyway,
0: we're, and we're you're getting not able pretty to deep see- here. No, it's great. I love it, and 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 I think our audience, my audience, will will appreciate this. The um and what I'm what I invite people to do, and really have worked on myself, and continue to practice, is seeing the shades of gray. Anytime I notice myself in a dualistic thinking, anytime I notice myself rearing up and wanting to be right or thinking that's wrong or that person's bad or anything like that, I I really do my best and my awareness has increased so much because of the amount of work I've done on myself, but I still catch myself with these thoughts and I'm sure there's some I don't catch too, but anytime I can catch it, boy, it makes life so much easier, like literally more ease and peace in my life.
1: All all, all of this, look, we have massive amounts of anxiety and depression and stress right now, right? And it just keeps going up and up and up. And that happens when the external environment is incongruent with your internal. Again, we're back to the inner game of thoughts and beliefs and values and labels. And the external environment... And so when that internal is incongruent with the external, you get stressed, depressed, anxious, frustrated, angry, hateful, so forth. And, and so the first step in trying to improve your happiness, health and life is to expand your awareness. That's what you were talking, I call it expanding awareness. You know, we, we have in in the Messenger Institute, my, my next book coming out is called The 12 Habits of Authentic People. And the 12 Habits of Authentic People are on my website, themessengerinstitute.com. And the first habit is about is expand your thinking. So if you either you can expand it voluntarily or someone will try to expand it for you. But you cannot live with your head in the sand. And the more you try, the more your health will go down and your happiness will go down and your prosperity will go down because you're just living in denial. And um
0: that's going suffer that's, more. You're gonna suffer, suffer more. more. I mean I guess more. technically, yes, you can live that way. But like you just said, it, you're you're going to suffer for it and you're and it's and when you're the in only the only f- way
1: you can live that way is in isolation. Or or surrounded by like minded people. But but how, how big is that circle? You know, I mean, if we're talking 10 people or 100 people or, you know, and, and if, if you're living in a community, which many are very homogeneous communities, then those communities eventually have conflict. I mean, this is why, you know, we have like six, six parts of the United States. You know, we've got the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, Southeast, you know, Southwest, Northwest, and Central. I mean, we're all very different cultures and values and beliefs.
0: Yeah, and it's it can be a hard thing for people to reconcile and to be open to everyone else and and what I've found is the the more open I can be, the more I can question my own beliefs when they feel strong, the more I can be aware of what's going on inside me, the more I can in, invite myself to see what's going on with the other person or what's going on with the politics or the stuff. I mean, like from a compassionate way of like even making up a story to make myself try to understand them better, to try to get on that other perspective, to try to understand what what, what their program was, you know, what what created this and to right. have a sense of curiosity. And what I've found is that and what I've learned too in my last um, – in recent years studying – my coaching foundations are rooted in – people that uh, develop them very much based in neuroscience. And in, in recent years, I've come to learn more myself about that because I wanted to understand the, the rootings of, of the things I was teaching and in the sense of like, why is this helping? Why is this working? Mm-hmm. And that sense of curiosity, that sense of being able to tap into that can bring in that part of our brain that we tend to have kind of offline or quiet, I guess, it's often overruled by the logical, analytical, and fear centers. And so bringing in that curiosity, and being more, I know in the book too, you talk about um, mindfulness is a a word you use to describe this awareness and, and this literally internal awareness of what's going on inside of you. And going there, that's opening us up to live a life that is feels so much better, has so much more peace of mind, and has peace with each other, so much more. I mean, the the amount of of conversations that I get into that uh, get heated or super uncomfortable, I mean, is pretty minuscule now compared to ten or twenty years ago because of these changes I've made for myself. So I, I know for myself it works and then I've seen it in clients too. To, to have somebody be able to suddenly have that insight that the person they're so pissed off at with might just have a different way of viewing this based on their experiences and their stuff and may not be a horrible person, you know, is, is wonderful to, ha- to see that moment. Or And also to see the mirror back, too, of if you're so irritated by this, what in that person are you seeing that like reflected you, like you? Exactly. I brought that up with a client recently, and she was ready to hear it, and she was stunned, and then she quickly identified it, and it was a, an eye-opener. It's phenomenal.
1: I'll tell you, I'll give you a, a, an interesting story. It's a funny story. Again, I call them flops, a faulty, limited, outdated program. Um, my son was about 16, and I was walking around the house one day. And he had, you know, shoes everywhere. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the more shoes I saw, the more agitated I started to get. So when whenever you start to feel agitated, you're having a negative emotional reaction. And I guarantee you, that's because there's a wound inside you. So I yelled at my son, will you pick up your damn shoes? And he was like total shocked. He's like, fine, dad. You know, and he goes around and picks up all the shoes and I'm all agitated, you know. And so he picks them up and takes them away and and I start walking around the house and I start to notice my shoes, my shoes. And I left my shoes everywhere. And so then I realized that I just had a flop. And so I take, you know, I sit down, I do my mind clearing, I take some deep breaths, you know. <sighs> because that opens up the frontal cortex. Whenever you're having a negative emotional reaction, it's because the amygdala has shut off your frontal cortex and you're not rational anymore. So when you do this deep breathing, it reactivates your frontal cortex. So I do my deep breathing and all of a sudden I realize I get the memory. My dad yelled at me for leaving my shoes around. So what you perceive as something simple as an argument or whatever, it was a negative emotional reaction. It was a faulty program in my cells where I saw shoes. It triggered the memory of my dad yelling at me. So I yelled at my son and we passed these things down over and over and over and over until you stop it. So I knew what I did. And so I went back to my son and I jokingly said, I want to talk to you. And he's like, what? And I said, I just treated you unfairly. And I realized that I was yelling at my father who yelled at me for leaving my shoes. And I started to cry and I gave him a hug and I told him how much I loved him. Mm -hmm. And it was a wonderful moment. And that flop was broken. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Okay. He's not going to do that to his son. Mm -mm. You see, but that would be a wound. Our supercomputer remembers everything. So a, a flop, when you have a negative emotional reaction, it's because a condition, you know, when it first happened, our brain took a picture of it and then it stored it in memory. And then when it happens again, all the conditions happen again, boom, we explode. That's what PTSD is. So one more mm-hmm. one more story. Do I have time for one more story? Oh
0: yeah, we can we can okay. keep going. This
1: so like I, I was when I was in Singapore, my driver came to pick me up one day, six in the morning. And he was taking me to the airport, and um, this is when I was CEO. And my wife came out in her pajamas to say goodbye to me, and I exploded at her that she was embarrassing me in front of my driver. And I knew I would drive away, and I knew I'm all shaking, I'm all upset. This is what happens: negative emotion reaction. I do my my mental work. I do my breathing. I said, I try to go into the memory. What is the source memory? And I see that memory. I see my mother. I'm walking in my front door. I'm like 10 or 12 years old. And I've got two friends with me. And we come in the front door and there's my mom in her pajamas looking real ratty. And that was 30 years before. So when a woman wearing pajamas, representing my mother, because, you know, men marry their mothers, women marry their fathers, right? Uh, I, when the condition was set, a woman wearing pajamas, representing my mother, embarrasses you, boom, it hit that memory and that trigger went off. That's a flop. And it happened. And we have dozens and dozens of these things. So every time you're having a negative emotional reaction, you have to, you have to step away You have to do your breathing, you have to do grounding, however you want to, clear the amygdala, activate the frontal consciousness, frontal cortex, analyze the conditions, find out what that original wound was. Now, for a lot of people, you know, I'm certified in hypnosis, so for a lot of people, these very bad wounds, you know, from an abusive parent or, you know, we've had alcoholism in our family. uh, a beating. It could be a, it could have been a fire. Could, you know, any kind of, you know, some, some trauma and it could have been 30 seconds. Could have been a bully picking on you in third grade, you know, but anyway, we got all these things in and, and so you have to release them. And once you release them, it's gone. Now I want to go, I want to go back to something you said. If, oh, go ahead. You follow yeah, up.
0: Yeah. I want to, resp- I want to, yeah. Hang, uh, hold your thought. Don't lose it. Um, what you just said. So, I, I want to see if you uh, agree with this or if you believe differently. I, I have felt that it's great if we can identify the original source of something. And yet, if we're unable to, or if it just feels too heavy to even try, or it's been completely blocked out, I, f- I think it's enough, at least at that stage, and it could be enough forever. It depends, um, to at least identify it. And then clean it up if you need to clean up and take your responsibility for what you just did and choose to make the shift, even though you may not be able to point back to the exact thing that may have caused it. Do you agree that that is possible?
1: I think that that's the first step. You, you know, recognizing that, that you were angry and it had nothing to do with the other person. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with the other person. The other person, anger, anger is always about you. And there's going to be people that that just made angry. Okay. (laughs) And so if that just made you angry, then you just experienced a flop. Okay. And, and, you know, these things, you know, I, I had one CEO who, who anytime a, a female CEO, a man challenged her at the board table, she exploded. And, and we had to go back in regression. And that came from her father sitting at the kitchen table when she was a little girl, telling her that she was a girl, she was never gonna to go to college, she was never gonna get a job, she was never gonna to amount to anything. And so anytime a man sitting at a wooden table told her she couldn't do something, she exploded. And that's where it came from. So she had to forgive her father. Now, the the so what you're saying to do is the first step, but until you go to the original wound, that trigger's still going to be there. And so eventually you want to find what it is. I had a trigger for 50 years at Christmas time because I never got any presents at Christmas time. I never had a birthday party that I can remember. I don't remember getting birthday presents. Every time my wife had 50 presents for Christmas and birthday parties for all my kids, I just started twitching. I I had to, and everybody in my family knew, oh, better, better get away from dad. It's his birthday. Better get away from dad. It's Christmas time. You know, if I wanted to live a happier life, I had to find out why I got so emotional at birthdays and Christmas. And it's because... You know, I lived in a poor family and I, uh, you know, my mother abandoned me and my dad beat me and I never got those things. You know, my first pair of new clothes, I was nine years old and I didn't know what a tag was hanging on. Why is there a tag hanging on my pants? Oh, that's because those are new. New? You mean these are mine for the first time? No one's ever worn them before? (laughs) So, you know, there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel Van Der that's I read a great it a few book. years ago.
0: It's phenomenal. Yeah, because
1: he talks about how we're all wounded. You know, we we're all wounded. Every one of us, and and um, so so the process that you started talking about, you know, there's extrinsic motivators: money, clothes, watches, cars, and there's intrinsic motivators: curiosity, purpose, autonomy, um, meaning, right so the intrinsic motivators will make your life far more fulfilled and successful and peaceful and happy extrinsic motivators as soon as you get a promotion it'll make you feel good for an hour a week maybe a month you know you get a raise maybe a month you know you buy a new car maybe six months you know those physical attachments extrinsic things do not make you happy right um it is the intrinsic things and it starts with curiosity so becoming curious like a child right we talk about let the child out that's because children are curious they're explorers you know they ask questions this is expanding awareness and so the best thing that you can do as as an individual is to constantly learn constantly read ask questions you know when someone doesn't agree with you, instead of fighting with them, ask them to explain, just like you said, why why don't you agree with me? What is it that you think about COVID, pills, Republicans, Democrats, <laughs> you know, whatever the issue is that you're arguing about? Get, understand their perspective. Like you said, it will expand yours.
0: Absolutely. Um, oh, I,
1: I wanted to oh, talk. Yeah. You mentioned about, um, so, so these... Another thing a person can do is think about yourself in a box, okay? So your identity is in a bunch of boxes. Tall, short, smart, fat, thin, Republican, Democrat, independent, liberal, um, Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, uh, American, white, Hispanic, um, rich, poor. Make a list of all these labels, right? And where, what box do you put yourself in, ladies and gentlemen? Are you in the thin, fat, rich, poor, black, white, gay, straight? Make a list of all these boxes. And just imagine there's all these boxes and there's boxes inside of boxes. You put yourself in those boxes or society put yourself in those boxes. But are those your boxes? You see, the people that really change the world, Explode the boundary of the box. They don't even see the boundary of the box. If they see the boundary of the box, they want to push the boundary. Can I can I stretch that? Can I can I oh my finger can go through that box? You know? So just make a conscious decision. First of all, what boxes are you in? Secondly, do you do you like that box? (laughs) You know. Did, did your did your mom and dad put you in the dentist box and you became a dentist because mom and dad were dentists and grandpa was a dentist? We all know stories about that, you know? And then there's the black sheep of the family who says, I don't want to be a dentist. <laughs> so, so the box is the source of the triggers that will create a negative reaction because your identity and a wound is tied to it. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the labels and the boxes, boxes are paradigms, okay? So the labels and boxes are the things that hold you back and limit your beliefs and limit your potential and limit your happiness. There's even geographic boxes, you know? I mean, I, last I researched it, 80% of Americans live, born, and die within 300 miles of each other. You just, you just put a geographic box in your whole life, you know? Why did you do that, you know? Anyway, so, um, then the other thing you mentioned was about mindfulness versus presence. So I'll, I'll let you comment before I move on to mindfulness versus presence.
0: No, I love, um, I love the, the concept of the box. I I did a meditation once, a guided meditation. And I remember, or maybe it was a dream. I don't know. Some vision, something came up, communicating something to me. And it was the concept of like, almost like brick walls around me. But then, somehow they, like the walls came down, and there was this beautiful meadow. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, look at look at that! Isn't that lovely? And and <laughs> so it's, uh, I I don't remember the context, what was going on in my life. I, I I don't I I I just remember this this visual, and I'll at times have visuals like this either. In a dream, or it's powerful.
1: It's very powerful. Uh,
0: or in a guided meditation, or or whatever, um, and different things that that communicate a message to me. And um, and I think it when you when you were talking, I was reminded of that. And I think it's a very it's a wonderful thing that people can envision. It and is. And I I challenge and invite everyone to really look at how many times throughout the day. Are you living inside this box and having it dictate your beliefs and your actions and ultimately have it where it's contributing to some suffering in your life? Because anytime you're feeling, yeah, those negative feelings and if they're coming up often that discomfort, you know, or if you're, you really want to have your life be a certain way, but it's just not in a certain really look and see what, What box have you put yourself inside of? Why are you so convinced that this has to be the way? Because if you can blow those walls down, blow them up, knock them down, take a hammer to them, whatever you want to think about, um, you know, one by one, drop the bricks. it, it, It can unleash so much.
1: So there's four, there's four major boxes to start with. One is your mind. The second one is your body. The third one is your environment, like work, house, uh, state, you know. And then the other one is your spirit. And that's a very important one. So let's talk about those. So your mind might be very depressed and frustrated. Well, is that because your physical body is not healthy or it's not the way you want it? Is it because your physical body isn't doing what your physical body wants to do? You you want to be outside, but you're behind a desk. Is your mind frustrated, depressed because you're in the wrong environment, the wrong relationship, the wrong country, the wrong weather? Or is your mind depressed because your spirit, your heart, your soul is saying, I want to be a pianist, I want to be a writer, or I want to be a builder or a skater, you know? there's so so there's these four main boxes have six battles there's six possible you know body versus environment mind versus body mind versus spirit so just think of these four boxes and so if you're not happy you need to sit down because again it all begins in the mind always start in the mind what's going on in the mind so I'll give you an example we we sold our house that we'd been in a you know, bigger house and um, the kids were all gone. And so my, my wife who had followed me for 38 years, I said, we'll go wherever you want to let go and live wherever you want to live. You followed me moving around for 38 years. She goes, I want to go live in a city apartment in Dallas. So I'm like, okay, so we go live in a city apartment in Dallas. I do not like cities. I do not like apartments. I did not have my yard, my grass, my fish tank, you know, I, I, I really did not like it. And I started to get very depressed and frustrated. And I was like, what is wrong with me? And I said, okay, I said that I would do this. I don't like this environment. I don't want to live in an apartment. So, messenger, you got a decision. You can either tell your wife you can't stand it, or you can remember that you said you would do it for two years, and let go of the fact that I don't like it because it's only for two years. I was suffering and suffering is always a choice. Okay. So I had to make a choice to either go buy a house or stay in the apartment and let go of the fact that I didn't like it because I said, we'd stay there for two years. Well, so the obvious easiest thing to do was I'm not going to let it bother me. I'm going to let it go. I said, I'd do it for two years. I want my wife to be happy. We'll do it for two years, you know, and, Two years was up, and we went and bought a new house, <laughs> which we're in now. But, but you see what I'm saying? You, you know that was a mind versus environment question battle, mm-hmm. and and so so that's that's a that's the first place to start. You and know, you for could many, have,
0: I I want to just interrupt for a sec, just to remind people, like as you mentioned, you could have talked to your wife, you could yeah. have even come up with some bizarre creative other scenarios i've heard of people
1: go live in my camper
0: <laughs> like yeah live apart yet come together visitor on weekend you know like i mean there's sure. there's all these scenarios yeah. and yet we, right. we 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 think it's got it well there's only the two solutions you know and right. so and you what's so great though is that you're showing how you had a choice to even have how you were going to feel i mean i'm sure it wasn't like Joyous for you in those two years. And yet if you but could I let re- it go. Yeah, if you, you could know, let it go, I, I let it then go. you wouldn't suffer. You, know? you exactly. wouldn't be suffering, right?
1: So here's another example because most people, you know, here the biggest frustrations are you're in the wrong geographic place. You know, you're not by family or not by snow or whatever it might be. You're in the wrong job. You're in the wrong relationship. You know, that's probably the biggest issues with most people. So so let's take the, I don't like my job. So the mind is going battling, you know, the physical job environment, which is also starting to impact the physical body. And so you get indigestion, you anxiety, you can't sleep, you start to take medications. It's all because you don't like your job. Well, so why is the mind telling you to stay in that job? Well, the mind is saying, oh, I need security. Okay, well, so that just, you just told yourself that you can't make as much money or more money doing something you love. Who told you you can't do what you love or make more money doing what you like? Oh, well, I'm going to tell you, you know, that goes back to your mom or dad who says you're not smart. You're never going to amount to anything, you know, you know, it's, it's all, it's a freaking maze in there, <laughs>
0: oh, you know, it is. And,
1: but, and so you have to go down through these questions. Um, let's not forget to talk about the book before we, uh, yes. run out well, of, uh and I was
0: thinking so, and also I, I realized that I made a note too. There was a, a part of your story that we haven't shared yet that I might be an interesting thing to, to share. And as we wrap up for today too, is, um, when your son Grant came into your room and the questions mm-hmm. that you were asking mm-hmm. in your mind. Yeah. So I don't know if we want to end with that as a, it might be interesting. Um, and then talking about the book a little bit, so I'll let you choose how to how to how and what you would like to say.
1: So um, let me think about that for a second. Um, I'm going to end on the Grant story because it's very profound. What what happened um, after ten years? Uh, was one day, this is 10 years after I broke my neck, so it's, in, it's 2011, 2012. After the second time,
0: one, just to be clear? Yeah, the
1: second time. After yeah, the second time, yeah. Yeah. okay. Yeah, 1985 was first time, 2000, January was second time, and so I quit my job and I go on my search, started in 2002. So t- 2012, I'm 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 sitting outside um, my backyard by a pool, and it's like midnight, and I see like words going in front of my eyes. And this is not new for me. Um, I've I, one of my gifts. You ask me what are my gifts. Uh, I'm very empathic. Um, I, I'm very intuitive. So I trust my intuition. Um, I get a lot of ideas and insights. Um, I've I've uh, created several world first inventions and so forth. And so I see things in my mind's eye. And so I call the words writing on the wall so i see formulas i see things like that so i just got i saw the words and so i just go in at midnight and 11 o'clock and i just start writing it was may 1st and uh, i have no idea i would i like type the question and the words started flowing and if i stopped to think about what i was writing the words would stop so i i had to control my mind to just basically take dictation and uh, I, it was on day seven of writing that I thought, maybe I'm writing a book. And um, there were 36 questions and 36 answers. It was like a conversation between me and an invisible friend. I would ask a question and then I get an answer. And the questions are things like, who makes things? What is pain? What is love? What is war? What is suffering? What is reality? What is time? What is matter? What is religion? What is death? you know, very philosophical kind of things. And um, me and this, the writing on the wall, got into a conversation and that's what the book is, which is why you said it's very unique. Like I typed a question and I got an answer. And so then I would type the answer and then I would type a question and I got an answer. It was like uh, AI, okay? And and so when I was done, my wife says, what have you been doing? It was May 12th, uh, May 11th. And I'd been writing for eleven days, and I said, uh, "I think I wrote a book." And she goes, "What's it about?" I said, "I don't know. I haven't read it yet." And, um, and it went and went on to win five awards and hit number one on Amazon and uh, number one ebook, number one hardcover, and it won four gold and one silver award. And um, that's when I came out because the book was then published. So it was only in 2011 or 2012. that. And so I called the book 11 days in May. There was no title. There was no plan. There's no chapters. You know, I called it 11 days in May because it was written in the first 11 days in May. It's kind of a terrible title because um, doesn't people confuse it with like the Cuban Missile Crisis or something like that. <laughs> and um, yeah, so, so I, I read the book like 18 times. Uh, before it was it came out and I was doing book talks and tours and radio and television interviews. And my wife was like, why do you keep reading the book? I said, I, I wrote it. I need to know what's in it, you know? <laughs> and um, and uh, so that's when I came out. And for the first time, after 10 years of having these insights and visions and making TV shows and products and games and inventions... That was when I came out and I was terrified to tell people of my la, la, woo, woo, you know, spiritual things. And, and of course the, the great shock was that all of these executives and individuals started coming to me going, Oh, thank God. I thought I was going crazy. I thought there was something wrong with me. You know, I need to talk to you because I'm experiencing the same things. So the, the story that I omitted in the beginning when I, when I had broken my neck um, in January 2000, when I was laying in bed and I couldn't move, and I told you that I was very angry and frustrated, and, and uh, I omitted I a, a very spiritual story, a very loving story, which you asked me to share about mm-hmm. Grant. Mm-hmm. Um, so after my family left and I had tears coming down my eyes because I didn't go to Australia and I didn't go to Beijing. I, I, screamed silently in my mind, why did you do this to me? You know? And the door handle jiggles in less than one minute. And my three year old comes in and he goes, daddy, you work too hard. And then he leaves. I'm like, I'm trying to talk. I can't talk. You can't move, you know, all that. And I'm like thinking, did, did I just like ask God, why did he do this to me? And my son just came in and told me I worked too hard. And so the next day I screamed another silent prayer in frustration. I'm like, oh God, oh yeah, you're talking to me. I'm working too hard. What the hell am I supposed to do? Now, again, this is all silent in my head, having a, an argument. And in one minute the door handle jiggles and in comes my three-year-old son again. And he goes, daddy, you need to play. And then he turns around and leaves. And I'm like... Okay, wait a minute. The math major comes out, and there's a formula on the book, which is only half the formula, and everyone the formula is the probability of this event happening. So I so I'm like, do I think God's answering my prayers for my son? I'm like, no, I'm a math major. What's the probability of my son coming in the room in any one minute? Well, that's one in 306, three hundred and six, three thousand six hundred, you know. What's the probability of Grant answering a question that he didn't hear? Well, how many, how many sayings does a three-year-old have? And you know, so I calculated the probability as being one in a thousand. And it happened twice. So that's one in a million. So on the third day, I'm thinking, oh, maybe God is answering my questions through my son. Like, how could my son be hearing and how could he come in? So I'm like, okay, God, I work too hard. I need to play. What what does that mean I'm supposed to do? Jiggle, jiggle, one minute. Sun comes in. This time he's dancing around, and he's going. We member, we because he couldn't say his Rs, so he was saying remember, 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 remember. He's just dancing in a circle, bouncing around, going remember, 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 remember. And I'm like remember, remember what you know. I so he leaves. So all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, that was one in a billion, one in a billion, that that would happen three times in a row. And so I spent five years. Remember what? Remember, remember, remember what? Well, the answer is remember who you are and remember where you came from and remember why you're here. So that's why we're going to end on that one.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love it. Oh, I love it so much. So a teaser for our future conversations for everyone to stay, stay tuned. And, um, what I And then, of course, I'd love to end with a, a favorite quote of yours. So J.D. has one in mind. So go ahead and share that with us.
1: Yeah, I, I've been saying for many years, all meaningful and lasting change first begins within before it could be projected out. Meaning, you know, everything that happens in your outer game is happening from your inner game. So, if you want to change what's happening in the outside of your life, your physical, you know, your relationships, your money, your jobs, you have to change your values and beliefs. You have to change your thoughts, you know, in order to create change in the outside. So, all meaningful and lasting change first begins within before it's projected out.
0: And on that, we will end for today. And we will be back. We will be back in the future, everybody. So, so again thanks, stay tuned. thanks so much jd such a pleasure i'm so excited to keep talking with you yeah and likewise every- and everyone we will uh we will see you again i hope you're enjoying my cherish your life podcast if this is supporting you in any way please review subscribe and share it with friends and family you can follow me on social media at cherish your life and my website is cherisyourlife.com. Yep, my name's unique. Here's an easy tip for you to pronounce and spell it. It's like the city, Paris, but with a ch. Special thanks to my dear friend, Paul Seulgees, who enhanced and mixed the musical track. Little did we know back in college in the 90s, while my then boyfriend, now husband, and I listened to Paul riff on his guitar, that he'd be helping me decades later give a creative touch to something called a podcast.